Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so my uh, one of the few races that I've attended this year was that uh, season opener at Texas Motor Speedway, which really did feel for a lot of it, um, a lot of that just whole day, kind of like a glorified test. But I, I believe I, I really do that. You know, since we don't have a you know just a one day show situation for the 500, you've got all these practices, you've got qualifications, everything is still building even though you don't have the fans and you don't have a lot of these off-track events that we're used to I still think it's going to feel really important it's definitely going to feel very different Um, it's also certainly not going to feel like the 500 that we've all uh, known for so long but uh, I, I still think this one especially I mean all the drivers and all the owners have said once we get to that green flag uh, which is what all these guys are preparing for all these months uh, of this year to get ready for that the time between the green flag and the checkered flag I think it's still going to be really exciting uh, and and for folks in central Indiana being able to still watch the race live uh, on NBC I think will still um, be be a fun day of racing to watch and consume and I've been surprised uh, certainly IndyCar but not just IndyCar is how normal it seems watching these sports events you know whether it's the pacers or indycar or baseball games or whatever how normal it seems to me even without the fans there um 
So I think it's obviously it was a decision I, I think the IMS had to make in terms of, of eliminating the blackout with no fans there. But uh, I think sitting at home watching it, uh, I, you know, maybe that'll be a better experience than people expect uh, from my own personal experiences. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, my I was just talking to my dad the other day, and he said he's a central Indiana resident has been since he was born in 64. He's been going to the race almost nonstop since he, since, uh, around the mid 1980s. Uh, he said he's never, obviously never watched a, an Indy 500 live on TV. So you have all these people that, uh, are very much not used to watching this race live and, uh, engaging with that TV experience, not knowing what's going to happen. Obviously we have the replay traditionally, um, Sunday evenings after the race is already finished up. But I, I really do think having been someone who's consumed this race on TV the last several years that, um, especially on NBC, these guys do, guys do a really great job. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some different camera shots and some camera angles. We've seen that from baseball where they are doing everything in their power to not show the just wide open empty spaces of grandstands and i'm sure that's definitely going to be something that nbc is going to work on uh whether it's tighter shots on the cars um different shots on um you know the the in-car action or or behind them or or however however it's going to work um that that might be a little bit different for folks that have gotten used to watching this race on tv but for the most part um, I really think this will be a, still be a, a fun and exciting day of racing to watch on TV, even that, if that's not what folks are traditionally used to. Yeah, I mean, when you see the empty stands at the baseball games especially, it is kind of glaring, and that's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, no doubt it's still the biggest race uh, in, you know, in the world. I mean, it's still, you know, so I, and it's not like other places are um, having lots and lots of fans. Um, so it's still, uh, you know, the best event uh, that, that, that can be put on um, during the, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, we, what was your, I mean, you, you haven't done a podcast since the announcement last week about there being no fans. Did it surprise you? I mean, given all the buildup uh, and, you know, so what was your initial reaction and then what was your takeaway from obviously talking to Roger Penske and Mark Miles and, and Doug Bowles and some of the other people uh, connected to the decision? Mm-hmm. I, I think... My first initial reaction was um, one of at least a little bit of surprise. I mean, we felt like I think when this plan came out um, that it was obviously quite thorough. It was 88 pages long. Um, Just from going through it page by page um, after some of that dust settled, you just couldn't really find a stone that IMS and Roger Penske left unturned in this whole process. Uh, and obviously we know that Marion County had continued to have some uh, growing numbers in their average cases per day and the positivity rate. Those were the two things that uh, Mark Miles and Doug Bowles harped on when I talked to them on the day when all this news broke and are, as far as the numbers that kind of led to them feeling like they had to make this decision. But it wasn't anything that just seemed like it was um, – total doomsday-ish. So I think there were a lot of drivers uh, and team owners that were initially caught off guard by this, but it was a decision that you, in that position, I mean, you have to make one way or another, you have to decide pretty much three weeks out or so um, what's going to happen just because of all the infrastructure that has to get put in place and get readied if you are going to host still eighty to 90,000 people at this race. So I, I think it was one that 
a lot of folks around the series were disappointed in, but also understood at the same time. And uh, and I, I have no doubt that they're gonna still make the most of this. The the racing product on the track is the most important part. It's why you have all these folks that have this tradition of going to this race every year. Um, it's because that racing is so great, and it has been so great these last several years in particular. Yeah, I kind of think it was just a, a, a you know a gut wrenching decision to have to make. I mean, we have seen um, across the country that uh, you know the uh, the social justice uh, uh, protests uh, have not caused a spike. At least they don't seem to have. Uh, there was a lot of uproar about the uh, the pictures Indy Star had of the Marion County Fair a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Still, you know, you know, no spike there. So was there a chance that you know you could put ninety thousand people in IMS and not have an issue? I think there was. I mean, I think that's a legitimate thing. Now, you then, but if you're in charge, you have to sit down and say, okay, what are the chances that something goes wrong here that we have some kind of outbreak? And if you think that number is anything at all, uh, you know, you almost have to make the tough decision to pull the plug uh, on it. So. Um, I, I can't imagine how the decision they had to make, because you know it's not what anyone wants, but it's uh, uh, in a perfect world, obviously. But it, it was probably the it was certainly was the wise decision given what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's you're you're dealing with unpredictable um, things, something that no one has ever really uh, experienced before. You're you're dealing with the financial aspect of all of this, the health and safety of your spectators, the um, vitality of your sport and your race teams is there's just so many things to balance and there's not there's not a roadmap there's not a set of rules it's it I don't know I, I mean there's there's people that are very passionate on both sides of this but um, it, it's really kind of seemed a lot in a lot of ways like a 50-50 draw um, between folks that are happy that this decision was made and folks that aren't and I I don't know if that would have changed uh, if Roger Penske had decided that they were going to move forward and host fans this year, but you certainly would have had that aura of uncertainty on how this was all going to play out over these next couple weeks, and that's probably also something uh, that IMS is glad to not kind of have hanging over, that we can actually, once these cars get on track on Wednesday, actually talk about racing and have that be um, as much as possible the, the focal point of these next couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, certainly, if there had been fans there at the numbers that they uh, were expecting, um, you know, we're in the media, <laughs> we're planning for this event. A, uh, not Certainly not uh, all of our coverage would have been around that, but that would have been a significant portion of our coverage. Mm-hmm. Without the fans there, um, it's a much lesser uh, part of what you're, what we'll be writing about, what we'll be covering. And, uh, yeah, as you say, it'll be, the focus will be on the track and, on, and the racing, um, uh, you know, in the next two weeks. Um, the another negative, I think, out of, certainly out of this, uh, out of the, the coronavirus, uh, in terms of the Indy 500, is that there will be no bumping this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, uh, I don't come from a long background of auto racing. I've obviously been in this position for several years now, so I've uh, become more immersed in it. But but the concept of bumping, the concept of uh, you having to qualify for the race, I mean, is it's not unique um, in sports. There's relegation and things like that. But it's just such a cool way to do it. It's such a, a great tradition. On top of that, you've had big names, James Hinchcliffe, uh, Fernando Alonso, not qualifying um, the last two years. So it's just been, a, I, mean, I, I mean, obviously a, uh, not something they're uh, excited about, but it's just been a great storyline, great drama to watch. Um, 
what do you think uh, in terms of having, you know, there's only going to be 33 cars this year, so everybody makes it. Well, how does that impact things? How does that change, uh, you know, th- th- this weekend coming up? Sure. I mean, I think even more so, uh, it just kind of allows these next, uh, I guess it's now 12 days, the 12 days ahead of this race really can truly just be about the race. I mean, if you're a, if you're Team Penske or if you're Ganassi or Andretti, I don't think you're too worried about not making the race on any given year, but um, even more so guys can just really be honed in on uh, making sure that they are all prepared for um, you know the, the conditions that race day is going to bring. Obviously, we have the new aero screen this year that a handful of folks have driven uh, the oval track and tested, but uh, and, and then we had most of these drivers and teams at the uh, oval races at Iowa and Texas. So a lot of guys have some oval experience with that air screen, but just getting to see how that interacts with uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway will, will certainly be interesting. But yeah, you just don't have, um, you don't have quite that tension that, uh, that qualifications weekend always brings. You, there's not that little bit of uncertainty of whether that, you know, third car from this team or that team is is going to be able to hang on, or if one of these small teams like uh, like Hunkos last year that knocked out uh, Fernando Alonso, as you mentioned, um, whether you know they're going to be able to survive. So I, I guess it's probably a good thing in some way for these team owners, especially those team owners of those small teams, that they don't have to worry about uh, all of their investment and their time and their focus and their energy of these last couple months just trying to get into this race to begin with that that would all be for naught but um it certainly is as someone who's who covers this uh and who lives for those storylines and the action there certainly is going to be a a little bit uh of that lacking here beyond the the fast nine shootout that we'll have for about an hour or so on sunday yeah i mean uh obviously with the financial situation for some of these uh teams you had a story last week about Point team saying that they were going to be uh, have a hard time if there was no 500, um, and now certainly all those teams will get in the race. You know, so their sponsors will be uh, um, will benefit from a, from the, the TV exposure of the entire 500. You know, no one's getting cut out um, and causing problems down the line. Um, so let's move on to something a little bit more fun than uh, <laughs> everything that the coronavirus has done uh, against the 500. Um, Let's talk about Fernando Alonso first. Obviously, a huge name in motorsports. Uh, you know, he's, he, this will be his third time here. His first year, he was leading the race until his engine blew out. It was obviously competitive. Um, last year, he doesn't even qualify due to problems with his team. Um, what kind of impact do you see him having? Where Where does he? I mean, he, his uh, his success or his, his previous runs here have obviously run the gamut. What do you expect to see out of him this year? I think the uh, the keys for him this year, the, the things that I look at before he's even been in a car uh, this year in an Indy car, things that I look at um, are the the fairly solid strength of the team that he's coming into this year. Um, we know that he was just simply with a McLaren outfit last year, uh, and they since have merged with uh, what used to be Aeroschmidt Peterson. Uh, now Aero McLaren SP. They have two young drivers, Pato Award and Oliver Askew, both of which uh, specifically in these last four races at Road America and Iowa have really shown a lot of speed, both in uh, qualifying and in race A action. We had Pato on the pole the second uh, day at Road America, almost won the race and finished second there to Felix Rosenquist. And then you had 
uh, Oliver Askew uh, get his own first podium in his IndyCar career the very following race at Iowa. He finished third. Pato finished fourth. Uh, they very easily could have both been on the podium there without some uh, late pit issues for Pato that kind of helped flip their spots. Um, Pato was the only driver that really seemed like he could keep up with uh, Joseph Newgarden's pace. That next night in Iowa, Joseph finished on, or started on pole, finished winning the race, but Pato was second for so much of that race um, until he had another issue in the pits with his team. So I just think you've seen a lot of speed out of those cars from fairly uh, young, inexperienced drivers. And when you get Fernando Alonso on this track, um, I, I really do think that he's going to have a, a great shot to really contend and get into these finally these final 30, 20 laps or so um, like we were all hoping and, and thinking he was going to back in 2017 uh, and see him contend with the Penske's and the Ganassi's and the Andretti's and, uh, you know, maybe Graham Ray Hall, maybe even his own one of his own teammates. Who knows? We'll have to see. Oh, would it be bigger for the 500 for IndyCar to have him win or be contending down to the, the last minute just in terms of fan interest and international interest when you're, you know, when a lot of places, there's a lot of teams are scrambling financially at this point. Uh, um, and again, I don't want to overstate it. No one's uh, stated that there's, they're in uh, any danger uh, going forward. But I, I just wonder how big, of, is that a bigger deal this year than had it would have, what it would have been previously? Yeah, uh, I, I certainly think it would be. Uh, I don't. It's hard to kind of contextualize exactly what effect that would have on things. You know, if he were to win, I'm sure you probably get some more worldwide attention uh, on this race in the days and weeks following it. Um, Alonso is, of course, um, hunting for uh, finishing off the triple crown of auto racing, and the 500 is the one thing left on uh, on his checklist that he hasn't been able to get yet. So that would be massive for his career. Um, he's, uh, you know, immediately comes in and is the the biggest worldwide name, I think, in this race, um, the, even though he's only raced in it once. So that's a big deal. Uh, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty on, you know, whether, you know, whether he wins or not this year, if he's going to be back because he's getting back into F1 full-time next year. So, um, you would think that especially if he were to win this year and then still be able to come back, that probably means you have even more attention uh, from a worldwide perspective uh, the following year. But I, I mean, I would think, you know, anytime it's kind of like if, uh, you know, if the, the Yankees are doing well in baseball, if the Lakers or the Celtics are doing well in the NBA, getting down to the, the finals and contending, it's just going to be a bigger story. Um, and so I'm sure, I'm sure NBC would love to have Alonzo in contention in those last couple laps and, and see how many folks tune in, especially on a, a race day when you don't have any fans there and see what kind of ratings number that they're able to capture with this year's unique race. Um, and, uh, the next, you know, Scott Dixon's obviously dominated, uh, IndyCar, uh, this season. Um, I guess it's been uh, the race has gotten a little tighter. Uh, it would be hard not to get tighter than it was after he won the first three races. Uh, but uh, th- I mean, this in some respects, this is the last shot people have at him. But I think it's a legitimate shot. It's a double points race, um, and uh, a lot of it is depends on where Dixon finishes, as whether we get a race. But what a, a race for the championship? What are your thoughts on uh, where Scott Dixon is at right now, and uh, how important this uh, the five hundred is for him? Yeah, I mean we've. We've seen him do well both on uh, road courses and ovals this year. He won the first three races of the year. He was 
uh, right there in the top five, though he didn't win at Iowa, um, was kind of a, a quiet contender in a lot of ways, both of those evenings uh, several weeks ago. I would say uh, the biggest thing as far as Dixon is concerned, um, you know, whether he wins this year uh, or, or simply hangs around and finishes, you know, whether it's on the podium or in the top five, because this is a double points race again this year, um, at the moment you only have, uh, I guess the, the 500 would be the seventh race of the year. Technically speaking, after the 500, you only have five more races on the calendar, even though uh, Mid-Ohio has been postponed and we're waiting to see where that would land on a uh, September or October weekend. But with a shorter schedule, the fact that he's got about a 50-point lead on Simon Pagano and just a couple points more on Joseph Newgarden, unless one of those guys were to finish in front of him, um, if, if Scott Dixon is up there towards the front, he can just about, I would say, almost guarantee that he's going to finish with his sixth uh, series title, which I believe would tie the record uh, or, or get closer to A.J. Foyt's all-time mark. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, that would be certainly big. He's not won a, a 500, amazingly, uh, since 2008 and when he won his only title here. So that's 12 years um, a, a pretty sizable gap for someone that's had such a remarkable career over this last decade. So uh, he would do all he'd do is just cement his status as one of, if not the best drivers that we've had uh, in series history were he to win. But in the short term, just a solid outing from him, you know, not not getting involved in one of these weird fluky accidents, um, you know, trying to stay towards the front the entire time and, and be out of um you know, some of those mid-pack accidents that can sometimes take out a contender that's just trying to work their way up um, would be really big for him. Yeah, Floyd holds the all-time record with seven there we go. titles, but Dixon is right with second with five. So uh, um, does he need to win the 500 again? I mean, we did a, you did a story uh, not too long ago about where Scott Dixon ranks among uh, all-time among IndyCar drivers. Does he need to... Right. I mean, does he need to win this race again to earn that spot? Or, I mean, obviously Mario Andretti only won one. What, how important is it to for him to win in terms of his, you know, legacy? Yeah, I mean, Mario was the first guy that came to mind when you were asking that question. Obviously, we know Mario's only won this race once um, and contended so many more times, but only won in 69. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of parallels to their, to their two careers in terms of uh, podium finishes, Wins, of course, um, um, uh, just just the longevity and, and how long they've been able to stay at the top. Um, I think Mario is a, a fairly solid comparison there. But anyone who's won this race more than once, I mean, you have, you have so many folks that have won this once. And, and just winning it really truly sets you apart no matter what else you do in your career. Um, but doing it twice, you immediately get into this. Um, upper echelon of folks that that certainly don't feel like is a a fluke of having done so because you've had some some drivers you know that happen to just win this uh, you know whether it's because of fuel strategy or um, just kind of being in the right place at the right time at the end of the race um, and we know Scott Dixon certainly is not one of those drivers but to do so to get into one of just a handful of, of people that have won this race two, three, or four times um, would, would really be big. Um, and I think would 
even more so probably than a, a, another series championship would just really stay, kind of stake his claim as uh, very much not being done uh, and still being one of the two or three, if not the best uh, drivers consistently that we have right now in the series and a perennial con- title contender. Uh, the competition, you know, obviously, the, the, as we mentioned, the competition for the title this year um, is coming from Simon Pagano. Uh, what are your? I mean, he's had a pretty incredible season with the with the terrible qualifying, but still winning races. Um, what's been, you know, he's on such a roll right now. What do you think his chances are here in the five hundred, and, and what role is he going to play in the storylines? Yeah, I mean, Simon has has shown more than anyone um, that he's someone that can really tear up. Uh, driving up the field and and contend right away. He's had such a horrid run at qualifying, oddly enough. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was Iowa where when they were doing, uh, testing out a a unique qualifying process where your first lap was going to set you for the first race and second lap set you for the second race. And his car didn't even get off the grid. And he qualified, he started last in both of those races. As as we know, he came back and won the first race that first night. uh, And he was there toward the front in in the second one. He's been, he's, Part, partially due to his qualifying has been uh, put off some of the stronger driving performances, even though he only has one win this year to Dixon's three. Um, certainly a title contender. You got to think he probably starts toward the front uh, and, and he's going to be, I would imagine, uh, someone that's going to be around there at the end unless something uh, fluky happens with his race. I know we haven't had a repeat winner since Elio in 2002. Um, so, uh, you know, there's always that little bit of pressure, you know, we're, we're waiting when someone else is going to do that again. And now in 2020, that pressure falls on Simon Pagano, but he seems someone who's really excited to come back to this track where his life changed so much a year ago. And I would, uh, I would put him along with Dixon, uh, you know, anyone in an Ed Carpenter car, uh, you know, probably Joseph, Joseph Newgarden and Will Power, and then maybe Fernando Alonso is your favorites to uh, expect to be around there once we get inside 20 laps this year. Yeah, one thing that's great about uh, IndyCar, you, uh, you know, uh, Pagano did a teleconference yesterday that uh, our uh, intern Michael McCleary uh, brought a story off of, but just the, the, the passion, how much do these guys enjoy it? I mean, you, you know, in, uh, in baseball, it's like, oh, is, is it okay for baseball to be fun? There's never any doubt about that. And in IndyCar and these guys, uh, there's just such a strong feelings around this race that that's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a fun aspect of, of the sport. Um, speaking of back-to-back winners, Elio, you know, this could be his last 500, or he could be a full-time driver again next year. Uh, what do you know about where he's at in terms of uh, um, his his future at IndyCar? Yeah, I'm really hoping that we get a chance to talk to him tomorrow. Um, he's, he's spoken with a couple folks and does sound, I think, as much as ever, um really excited and energized to try and pursue that uh, full season IndyCar uh, career that he left back in 2017. That was when um, Roger Penske promised him a seat in sports cars, but that program only lasted two years. They're now uh, have announced that their partnership with Acura in the IMSA series is going to come to a close at the end of the 2020 season. So he is 
back on the market for a seat. Uh, I, I think until you know something weird happened, whether he left the IMSA program or whether Penske ended it, I think it seemed like he was probably going to be set to stay there and, and probably... Uh, you know, at least for a couple more years might have meant that Roger would have been able to put together a, a, an additional seat in the 500 for him. But um, he does seem now, it seems like a little bit freed up, um, both both from uh, his own self and I think freed up in some way from uh, Roger Penske kind of telling him, you know, you, you have my blessing to go out and pursue whatever is best for you for the rest of your motorsports career. And uh, I, I certainly think from what it sounds like that is uh, to him, that means a full-time ride in an in IndyCar seat in 2021. Now where that seat might come from, it's really hard to tell. Um, got a lot of teams that are, are hurting a little bit uh, after this year and might not necessarily be looking to expand. So that means, you know, that he's going to have to come and take a seat from someone who has already been driving full-time this year. So um, it would be really interesting once we get to this off season to see how that might play out. But uh, a, a somewhat older Elio Castroneves is still, as we've seen, uh, going to be a, a talented driver. Um, certainly brings a lot of attention, a lot of name recognition, probably someone that sponsors would love to, uh, to be a part of an entry for. So I, I'd put his odds up there uh, pretty high at, at, at us seeing a lot more of Elio Castroneves next year. Yeah, that would be uh, obviously great to hear, uh, great to see. He's a, he's a fan favorite, um, so I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, wanting uh, to see him back out there. Um, we're not going to get into predictions this week because we'll do that after uh, qualifying and everything else, but... Um, if you had to pick a dark horse uh, right now, uh, you're allowed to change it later. But you got to pick a dark horse, someone the, you know outside the main contenders. Who would you? Who are you looking at for for uh, as a possible Indy 500 winner? Sure, I'll I'll say um, as strong as he's looked uh, this these last uh, handful of races this year. And even though we know Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan is a uh, a strong team because he's not in the quote-unquote big three and he's not Fernando Alonso, um, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and give that to uh, Graham Ray Hall. You know, he's he's someone that has been pretty close uh, a handful of times. Last year, he was dueling up toward the front with Sebastian Bourdais until they got into an accident late in the race, I think with about 25 to 30 laps to go. And he was someone that could have been um, potentially dueling with Rossi and uh, Simon Pagano toward the end. Um, you know, it's it's uh, we've we've seen uh, strong racing from his teammate Kumasato, a former winner. Um, Graham is certainly no um, certainly very familiar with this track, and it, it it would not surprise me for us to get another one of these first time winners um, from a, a a driver who. It has been proven is very strong, um, but has not been able to do it yet. So I, I would say if we're going to go outside the big three and and I guess outside of an, an Ed Carpenter car who seems like always had someone at the front um, from the performance that we've seen out of Graham so far this year, uh, would not be surprised to see him in victory lane in a couple weeks. All right, and you have got some questions from Twitter, so why don't we uh, hit those? Yeah, let me pull those up here. Um, I know the first question, uh, and as I'm pulling these up still, that someone was asking um, 
was the the possibility of IndyCar being able to uh, latch on with NASCAR for a race at Richmond in September. That was kind of coming off of the story that I had um, about why IndyCar has kept this schedule at 14 races this year. Um, and, and I guess my... My answer to that would be it does still really just really seem that IndyCar is totally fine with and comfortable with and probably wants to just finish off this year with the tracks that they are familiar with, that teams have been planning for. Um, these doubleheader weekends have certainly uh, helped a lot and paid off in trying to get to uh, this 14 race mark that seemed like it was, um, you know, kind of the mark that teams really needed in order to you know make ends meet make keep sponsors happy and just kind of get past this year into 2021 uh 2020 and into 2021 so i would be a little surprised um if they decided to announce that they just haven't they've had to have have to put all of their resources over these last couple months into just getting this 500 off the ground so for them to finish up the 500 have to make a decision on gateway whether they're going to run that doubleheader uh the weekend after the 500 or postpone that and then still try to add a new track that i know was on the schedule at one point this year but hasn't been on the front of mind for teams for a while um even if it would be part of one of those uh nascar doubleheader weekends seems like that might not be very viable for this year certainly would be something exciting exciting to see in years uh years down the road but um would be a little bit surprised to hear that um other question we got from Jeremiah Morell um, asked, how close did Oral Servia, Pippa Man, or Steph Wilson, Steph Wilson come to having a ride this year? Uh, I've actually spoken with Pippa uh, for a story that's going to be coming out here uh, probably early next week or over this weekend, kind of about her journey this year. She, uh, I believe, <laughs> uh, if the pandemic had not happened, I think you would have possibly seen her with a new team uh, that she'd not competed with before. She, last year she was with, was with Clawson Marshall Racing uh, and had been a regular with Dale Coyne Racing for quite some time. She told me um, that she was, before the season started, getting pretty close and feeling pretty positive that she was going to have a strong uh, team to come with this year uh, and would have been on the grid. But right around when she was you know, trying to get the sponsors and everything set up was when the pandemic really hit and the season got put on pause. And I think a lot of folks that didn't already have sponsors found it really, really difficult to try and put together a package for the 500, even for someone who was as strong as she was finished uh, 16th in last year's race and has had been, been pretty consistent in staying out of trouble uh, and, and putting together top, uh, you know, top 20, top 23 performances, uh, which are solid given the the equipment that she's used a handful of these years. Um, Steph Wilson, um, I've and, and Oral Servia for that matter. Those were two guys that I think were in the running, particularly for that third Dale coin seat. Um, but it did seem like, for uh, whatever reason, James Davison had a little bit more of that backing and support because he had that history with bird racing that he'd uh, driven with in years past. Also had the support of Rick Ware Racing on the NASCAR side. They're kind of exploring this crossover that uh, James is uh, doing. He's actually driving uh, in a, a road race at Daytona uh, this Sunday of qualifying weekend next weekend, assuming that qualifying on Saturday doesn't get rained out. So he had a little bit more of that strong support and backing. So if there was really only one seat up for grabs there, it does seem like 
Um, now that we know the situation that he was certainly the front runner for that. Um, and I'm not really sure where, uh, you know, if Steph or Oriole hadn't uh, landed a coin, where there might have been a seat available. Uh, Top Gun Racing didn't make it in this year's race, but um, but was set with R.C. Enerson. You know, you had Hunkos that was talking about maybe fielding a car, but they'd been linked with Kyle Kaiser and, and seemed like they might have needed even more than just a driver that had a decent amount of funding. Um, they, I think, would have had to kind of been planned out. And both Steph and Oriole, I think, were in these last in this last week or so even, just trying to pick up uh, that funding that probably would have been needed for a team that already had the support ready, the crew ready, the car ready, and just needed that financial backing to kind of back everything up. So um, I think it did sound like they were on the brink, but they were – um, I think both realistically only really in the running for that one seat with coin that Davison um, just kind of had the better overall package for. So those are the, uh, the two questions that we had um, from folks uh, around this year's race. Certainly send me more questions as you get them. I will do my best to answer them on Twitter um, or we can include them in our next podcast. Um, I know there's a a lot of new things going on with this year's race, um, whether it's the the schedule or how to how to consume the on track action, um, the the qualifying process, and all that. So certainly don't uh, hesitate to reach out to me at, at by underscore Nathan Brown on Twitter. All right, and that'll wrap it up. Like I say, uh, please continue to join us at IndyStar.com. Uh, we'll have uh, more Indy 500 coverage than anyone else. Uh, we'll be there every day. There is practice. Every day there's action on the court. Uh, on the on the course, we'll have uh, pit pass live, um, and uh, also and uh, of course we'll have regular coverage uh, during practice, qualifying, and then uh, heading up to the race. So uh, come back to indystar.com.